You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, guys, I am going to talk to you today. I talked to the ladies on Mother's Day, right? And it wasn't just about moms, it was about women. And I told them, you're, just hang tight, ladies. The guys, your turn is coming. And so today is really for you. So I'm going to talk mostly about husbands, men in general, husbands especially. We're going to talk a little bit at the end about what our role is as dads. And I want to talk to you about what your job description is as a husband, as a father. How many of you have a written job description at work? How many of you have a, a written? A few of you do. Most of you don't have written job descriptions. You're all retired. No? How many of you get evaluations? Do you get evaluations annually? For those of you that get evaluated without a written job description, I'm like, that's a little messed up, but that's another conversation another day. How can you get evaluated if you're not been clearly told what you're supposed to do? Well, this morning, I want to share with you what your job description, God has written out what our job description is, men, what it means to be as a, as a husband, as a, as a father in life. And so if you're not married, guys, this is something that you can look toward in the future and think about where you need to grow and, and being prepared for. There's also a lot of things in here that you need to be doing even now before you're married, uh, before that role. But I want to just unpack four things this morning, just four big bullet points in the job description about things they're supposed to do. We're going to look at two passages in order to get there. So look with me at 1 Peter chapter 3, if you would. 1 Peter 3. I shared the first part of this chapter a few weeks ago on Mother's Day. And I left dangling the, 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 the verse about the guys. So let me go ahead and read that now. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. The Bible says this. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. That's almost a miracle right there. For husbands to understand, you know, we're talking, this is high, this is a big deal. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. First thing I want you to notice, guys, is that you, in your job description, the first big thing you're supposed to do is you are supposed to lead spiritually. When the Bible says, likewise... It's talking back to what the ladies have just heard about, and we don't have time to go back and read that, but the ladies have just been pointed to of how they're to live their life before God and respecting and honoring God and fearing God and how they're to live in a right relationship with their husbands. And Peter says, guys, same for you. You are, as, a, as, as the male in the home, as the, the husband in the home, there are some things that you need to be doing spiritually and right off the bat, he says to live with your wives in an understanding way. When I go to my doctor, I want my doctor to be good at two things. I want them to be really, him or her, I want them to be good at knowing how my body is supposed to work, right? We expect that. I expect them to be the expert. That's why I go to, to, uh, to my doctor to say, tell me what I need to know. I don't like it when they kind of have to make me get completely undressed. That's really never a good time, but I, they, I want them to know how my body works. Secondly, I want them to know that I am more than just a compilation of skins and bones and muscles and tissue, that I am a person. That I, you know, I want them to know what they know, but how it affects me individually. I want them to be aware of that. You can call it good bedside manner or whatever. I like for them to talk in terms that I can understand and not assume that 
I've got a, you know, I'm a doctor myself. I want them to speak into my world, know how these things are going to impact me and what it means for my life. I want that. Men, that's what God is telling us this morning as men, that we are to live with our wives, well with them in an understanding way, that we should not be dumb as a block, that we should not be clueless, we should not be ignorant, we should not be novices, that there ought to be a, a recognition of who our wives are, of our family situation, the dynamics. There should be an understanding of who God is and where we are in life together as a family. There should be a, a large awareness that our eyes should be open. Men, let's be honest. It's easy to check out at home. It's easy to put your focus on at work. It's easy to kind of go revved up and ready to go to, you know, to, to make your days pay and to live responsibly at work and to go after it and get after it. And it's easy. We get, we get tired when we come home and we want to check out. And God says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Be, be aware of where she is in her life. Be aware of where she is spiritually. Be aware of her as a person. Be aware of where she is in her past. Be aware of where she is in her present. Be aware as you speak how those things affect her. Be aware of the situations that's going on. Live in an understanding way of, of understanding who God made her to be and an understanding way of exactly who God is and what God is doing in your life and where, where you are as a family, where you're going. Don't just float along in the you know, the trenches of life. So often we have a focus. We want to climb the job ladder. We want to, you know, to get someplace in life. And we have those goals and those priorities and that focus of life. But what Peter's telling us in this passage is, is that we should also have a focus for where we are as a family. Don't just delegate that away in your mind to your wives and think that, well, your wife's got it covered, that, that we are to lead out spiritually in our homes. We are to, to lead spiritually. We're to kind of set that pace, set that, that measure. I think I shared a couple of weeks ago, I'm hoping to hike the Northville Placid Trail this uh, late summer with several of my kids. And it, it'll be like about averaging like 10 miles a day, you know, carrying all your food and backpack and tent and everything, you know, full pack and all of that. And I'm just not as young as I used to be. When I was young, I could just start, you know, just go out. But I'm kind of at a point in life, like, I got to get ready for this. And so Susan and I have been walking more um, um, and just kind of getting some miles in. And I know that I, because I'm, you know, taller than she is, stronger than she is, all of that, that I have to live with her in an understanding way. And so I have to make sure to kind of get my you know, my level up, I put a big pack on and put the weights in it and that kind of thing to, to be aware of those things. Man, we should be very attuned to where our wives are, very attuned to what God is doing in their life, very attuned to what God is trying to do in our family and not clueless about any of that. That's what Peter's trying to get at when he's talking about this likewise and this understanding. He's saying, guys, get a clue. Clue in. Get off the sports page, get off of Sports Center, get off of whatever your thing is, get off of the gaming, get off of whatever you're paying attention to, and live. Experience and live robustly with your wife and your family with a level of understanding. Guys, first thing, live with a spiritual, as a spiritual leader in your home. Second point on the job description, we are to show honor. 
Peter goes on and he says, to live with our wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And he says, do this because they are heirs. Our wives are heirs with us, co-equal and heirs before God of the grace of the life. And when we do this, our prayers are effective. When we don't do this, our prayers are hindered. God does not hinder our prayers. Now, when the Bible says that the, why our wives are a weaker vessel, they're not weaker spiritually. They're not weaker. Days gone by, people thought, well, they're weaker emotionally. You know, women are just so the stereotype, you know. Women are just weak. They're more emotional, that kind of thing. Folks, you're not weak if you show emotions. You're not weak if you don't show emotions. It's, our culture has lost its mind about all of these things. Ladies, if you want your husband to be like you and you tend to be a little more emotional and he's not, stop. Your husband's different. And if you are not that emotional, ladies, and your husband is emotional, stop. It just, guys, you're, you're not, that's not a sign of weakness. There's a makeup in all of us that Scripture doesn't talk about and just, just live with it and be okay. Showing it, not showing it, that's... That's not what we're talking about here. The only way that ladies generally are weaker, and I guess it depends on who your wife is, because there's plenty of women, to be quite honest with you, that are stronger than me that I would not want to go into the ring with. You know what I mean? I've seen some of them. I'm just like, whoo, I don't want to go against you for sure all day long. But generally, husbands are stronger than their wives. And Peter is saying, guys, this is a part of the understanding. You need to recognize you can be intimidating to your wife without trying. You're bigger. You're stronger. Live with them in an understanding way and give honor to them. You see, we should see it. Like in our home, we've got some like china plates. I don't know where they are. We've rearranged our hutch, that kind of thing. I guess they're packed away. And then we've got plastic plates and we've got stuff, you know, that's differently. We should see when the Bible describes you ladies as weaker, it's not a devaluing, it's actually a valuing. Some piece of fine china, you know, has more value. I brought a little cup and saucer in here. They say they're bone china. I guess it is. It's got Princess Diana and Prince Charles on it. So I don't know. It used to be my mother-in-law's. and So now it got handed down to my wife. You see, we should see that our wives, when the Bible describes as weaker, doesn't mean lesser value, doesn't mean inferior. Don't fall on that into that trap. What it means is, is there is a, a value placed to them, a preciousness there that they should be treated well and not treated roughly or mishandled or any kind of thing of that nature. Because when you do, things tend to break. Did he just break that? And didn't he say that was his mother-in-law's? I wanted so long to do that. I'll explain that more in a minute. I say it in all seriousness. Guys, don't treat your wives roughly. Honor them. Don't just make excuses for being a jerk and joking around. We're to treat them with a level of honor and a level of value. And how often do wives in our lives get treated like they're nothing more than that and get trashed on? The Bible says that word honor means to show value. It means that there is something that, that, that's precious, that we should look at our wives with an incredible value as the most precious thing in our life. 
Other than the Lord Jesus Christ, your wife ought to be the most precious thing to you. We don't possess our wives. We don't own them, of course, but, but we should see them as everything else in life is of a lower value. And how often do we choose other things in our life besides our wives? How often do we get in arguments about, well, I want to buy this. I want to buy that. And we value those things rather than our wives. See, practically and tangibly in our life, our wives should be of an utmost value. There should not be any doubt in any woman's mind about the place of honor that she holds in her husband's heart. There should never be a doubt about that whatsoever. Men, if you've actually, if your wife has ever been afraid of you in a real way, even if she's been afraid, even if you haven't done anything, you need to own that. You need to go home and apologize for that. You need to go home and get that squared away. Because, men, we don't lead by intimidation, by threats, by manipulation. We lead out of a, a respect and a love and an honor for our wives. Peter says, honor your wife. Keep her that place and that value. And he doesn't put a qualification. Honor her if she's honorable. Honor her if she does what you want. Honor her if she pleases you. Honor her if you like what's going on. He says, no. Honor her. Period. That's what you're supposed to do. So lead spiritually. Show honor to your wife. And when you don't show that honor, that it affects us spiritually. That God says, yeah, you're not honoring your wife, so I'm, I would like to answer your prayer, but your prayer is not going to be answered because you're not doing what I told you to do. It affects us spiritually, men. So if you're going to be blessed before God, you need to honor the ladies in your life. Honor them. For those young men in the room that are not married, that starts, that's honestly where the place where that honor begins is for you learning to honor your moms. Uh, Mother Day, Mother's Day has passed, but you don't have to wait till Mother's Day, right? Every day you ought to honor your mom. So start there, honor your, your mom. And ladies, if you're looking for a husband and you're thinking about a guy who doesn't honor his mom well, you probably got the wrong guy because he's not going to honor you very well. Don't miss that. Third thing I want you to recognize, third thing in the job description, guys, not only should we lead spiritually, you should show honor to your wife. But third, I want you to recognize that we are to love well. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to get it. Let me get this saucer out of my way. Ephesians chapter 3. Look what the Bible says. Actually, it's not 3. I lied to you. It's Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 22 and following. We know that the the picture that we are to have of our relationship with our wives is a picture of what Jesus did for the church. He says this in verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, in verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, is, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. I don't know if this verse will be on the screen or not, but he says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. The third thing on our job description, men, is that we are to love our wives. And the definition of love, according to these verses, is nothing short of sacrifice. The greatest demonstration of love that this world has ever seen or ever will see is Jesus on the cross for our sins. When he died on the cross, he died in our place, in our shoes, to, to take upon himself the judgment and the punishment of God. In essence, he took on an eternity in hell that you and I had earned when we sinned against a holy God, and he willingly died for us, even though he was completely innocent, and he was glad to do it, to, to show that love and to, so that you and I could in turn trust him and receive him to be our Savior and our Lord, that he paid the penalty for our sins, which is sufficient to... For, that God the Father in heaven could forgive us of our sins and could cover over our sins. And then He rose from the dead on the third day, freeing us from that, that, that enslavement and penalty to those. And so He did it as the supreme act of love. And so we look at Jesus as the one who saves us and what He did on the cross, that and that alone. Nothing that you and I could do. Nothing that, no prayer that we could ever pray, no action that we could do, no religious ceremony that we could go through that could ever bring a forgiveness with God that could ever make the wrong in our hearts right. Could never do that. Nothing could. I was in California this past week at a meeting and uh, was, we got in it was kind of brutal. The airline that I flew, I won't tell you which one, but kind of messed us over. Long story short, I didn't end up getting to the hotel until 4.30 in the morning, California time, which is 7.30 in the morning here. Now, there is a time in my life where that wouldn't have been that big a deal, but that is not now. You know what I mean? Like trying to sleep on the plane, and I was wiped out on all of that. But we got a, a Lyft, uh, if you've not used Lyft, like Uber, right? And uh, so we dialed in and punched in and ended up talking to a, uh, a young man named, named William, named Will, he goes by. And Will is a typical kind of, you know, semi-spiritual California guy, and we started talking about spiritual things, talking about Jesus, and Will is like, well, we got out, and I knew that we had really hit home, and we got out, and, you know, to get our stuff, and he said, Sean, let me ask you a question. I mean, he was just revving, and I'm at 4.30 in the morning, I'm just kind of like, you know, what day is it, and we, what time is it, and and he said, Sean, so let me ask you a question. So, so how do you deal with people that you know, have bad energy when you're trying to get good energy, and how do you get all of that squared away? And in his world, kind of new age and all of it, the issue is not sin. The issue is bad energy versus good. So you want a good life, you be around good people. If you want bad things, be around bad people. It's kind of this world global karma weirdness. There's a lot of that coming around us. And I said, Will, you're missing the whole point. The bad is inside of us. The issue isn't like, like you know, being around like a virus, somebody that's got bad energy that's bad and somehow it's going to jump to you. The, your stuff is inside of you. And we, are, we had already talked about it. I said the stuff that was inside of me, and I told him some of the things I wrestled with. You see, the sin's inside of us. And Jesus died on the cross to save what's on the inside of us. And we all struggle with that thinking in different ways. 
And he died so we could be forgiven of our sin because he loves us. Some of you need to put your trust in Jesus Christ alone and stop trying to be a good person to make God happy with yourself. Just admit that you're not and that you're a sinner before God and that he wants to forgive you and save you and surrender your life to him and trust him as Lord and Savior of your life. And Jesus takes this picture, God takes this picture as the supreme picture of what you and I are to be as a husband. Guys, he sets the bar here really high. And I know the world around us in the whole shifting of what, you know, genders are supposed to be and roles are supposed to be. The Bible has some really clear pictures when it comes to home and church, how those things are supposed to operate and how we're in our life. And so I know, ladies, there's a struggle, but we talked about the whole, you know, respect and submission thing on Mother's Day. If you weren't here for it, want to hear what it says, go back and watch that on YouTube. But guys, of the two men and women, he sets the bar the highest for you, for us as men that we are to lay down our life. And the issue isn't, are we innocent and our spouse is guilty? That we are to sacrifice everything for them. And we are to do what is good for them. We are to lay aside our will, just as Jesus did. Father, if there's any way we can do this deal without me dying on the cross, I would love to do that. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. You see, men, our job is to Love well. When you're in the middle of the week, you need to ask yourself, what I just said, is that sacrificing myself for my wife? What I want to do, is that sacrificing myself for my wife? Am I really all about what's in my wife's best interest? Is that really what I'm about? Now, I'll be honest with you, 24-7, I don't think that way. I'm just going to keep it real and honest. I try. I really do. I think if you asked my wife, she would say that. But I'm still an imperfect creature, and just like all of you, my default setting goes back to me. <laughs> you know, It always goes back to me, and it does for you. So men, pull out your job descriptions, and look at this as an evaluation, and say, how have I been lately? Am I really laying myself on the altar for the good of my wife? Sacrificing for what is her best. And then when you do that, ladies like to follow when the person they're following lays it all on the line for them. It's your move to go first. You sacrifice. It's a whole lot easier when families work that well. And part of that loving well is sacrificing for yourself, for your wife, but it's in caring for them. Look how Paul goes ahead and he unpacks a little bit more. He says, for no one ever hated his own flesh. In verse 29, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. You see, there should be a nourishing and a caring for our wives just as we do ourselves, our own bodies. Paul is right. We don't hate our own flesh. We love it. We want to take care of it. We don't like to hurt. In fact, we'll do everything we can not to hurt physically, and we'll do everything we can not to hurt emotionally and spiritually on the inside. That is the source of so much addiction and problems that we all get, and it's, I'm not just talking about illegal addictions or social stigma addictions, but I don't care whether your thing is, you know, eating or shopping or whatever, just, just all kinds of things because we want to numb the pain of, of what we are experiencing in our life, and we turn to all kinds of things before Jesus and God. And so just the way we want to care for our own well-being Men, the Bible says that you're to turn with that kind of attention to detail 
and a cherishing and a caring for your wife. There should be a deep nourishing and a love for her and her life and what's going on with her. There should be a complete orientation shift in that. When couples start fighting, they end up drawing lines, like any kind of conflict. I don't care whether it's Russia and Ukraine and the world, or if it's a if get in any kind of conflict, there's always a drawing of, of battle lines. And when couples do that, they start drawing, they start measuring up internally. Well, I'm giving this much, and you should give this much, and you know, I'm and, and they start comparing and all of that. And the Bible never says to do that. In fact, it says the opposite. You take care of you. And trust God in heaven that God is going to deal with and take care of the other person. And he says, for us as men, that we should always be about caring and cherishing our wife, not only when it's convenient, but when it's inconvenient. Not only when it works out to our best interest, but even when it works out to our harm. That we should love and care well. Fourth thing on that job description not only should we lead spiritually, not only should we show honor, not only should we love really well with our wives, but fourth thing is we should raise kids, raise children when we have children. Look at what chapter 6, verse 1 says. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. And here's why. This is right. Kind of countercultural today. Our world today is to do something if it makes sense. Do something if it feels good. Do something if it works out for you. And the Bible says, no, do it because it's right. It's the only reason needed. It's right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord is the part that obey them when they're telling you what's right and what's good. Don't obey them when they're doing evil, telling you to do evil. This is not an uh, injunction for child abuse or anything like that. But obey them in the Lord. Obey them in a way that, that honors God. And he says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise. And here's the promise in the Old Testament that talks about it. It says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The Bible tells us that children are to obey their parents. And they're to honor them from their heart. In fact, if you don't honor, if, if you don't honor someone or something in your heart, you're not going to treat them the way they should be treated. So obeying parents starts with honoring them first in their heart. That honoring again, same thing as I talked earlier for us men, it should be children are to value their parents, they're to respect their parents, they're to see their parents. It's not just a, a money outlet or a, a money train, but we should be leading parents. And we should be leading in a way with our kids that they, over time, see the wisdom and value and appreciation in the middle of that. And that we have a responsibility to teach them to obey. You see, there's nothing in your child's life, for the parents in the room, there's nothing in your child's life that you're not responsible for. There's nothing that's outside of your purview, out of the bounds of your responsibility. So when the Bible is telling your kids here, mom and dad, that they are to obey you, you have a role in teaching them to obey you, a role in teaching them to honor you, creating that kind of environment. Their job is to respond to that, 
But your job is to lead and to guide the home in such a way that they get that there is an obedience level for them with God. Now, in all of this, I'm gonna, I'll come back to this with the kids in just a minute, but in all of this, guys, God is telling us this, which means we are responsible to do it. We're accountable to do it. Ladies, her, that means for you, you should be sitting there glad that God is holding your husbands accountable for these things. You know, it's easy to say, well, see, look, you didn't do this and you didn't do that and bitterness and all that arises. And ladies, if your husband's not treated you well, you need to be, work through the, dealing with the forgiveness and bitterness and dealing with being clear with what they need to be. But you should see this as a hope that God in heaven is watching and he's dealing with your husband and will deal with your husband and will hold them accountable. And so for us as parents, our job is to help our children to get that there is a level of obedience that is expected simply because they're kids. And I know in our culture, things have shifted a lot, and I'm not, I'm definitely, there's some good things in our culture when it comes to raising kids that I think are better than 20 and 50 years ago, and there's some bad things in the middle of all of that. I will just say the sense that I see the Bible talks in principles, not in legal, doesn't give you a legal list of do's and don'ts. In other words, if you want your kid to have a, a bedtime at 9 o'clock, make it at 9 o'clock. If you want it at 8 o'clock, make it at 8 o'clock. If you want it at 10 o'clock, make it at 10 o'clock. It doesn't give us a laundry list of legal things. But when you set your bedtime for your kid, they ought to obey you and they ought to honor you. And they ought to learn how to do that. And your job is to teach them that accordingly. And the culture around, as I look around us, it's, it's encouraging kids to honestly be a little more, be more mouthy and dishonoring to the parents. And mom and dad, that's not cool, and that's on you. Think about it this way. If God doesn't let you get away with stuff, should you really be letting your kid get away with stuff? Does God let you get away with mouthing off at him and blowing him off? Pushing back on all of that? He really doesn't. Then why would you let your kids do that? Because we're to, they're to honor us in the middle of that. We're not to be authoritarian and heavy-handed and all that. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But there should be an expectation of our kids being obedient and honoring their parents. So often parents are scared. Oh, I could never do that. I could never... You know, handering I want them to love me. I want them to like me. We don't understand this, but honoring and teaching obedience and respect and honoring of parents is actually a gateway. It's hand-in-hand hand with love. You see, what you don't honor and respect, you don't love. Was I very respectful to that, that China cup earlier? I wasn't. Neither did I love it at all. <laughs> My wife gave me permission to break it, by the way. All right. Yeah, so I would definitely not break anything. She said no at all. You see, you love what you respect, and you respect what you love. What I've noticed is in children who've grown up in homes where they've not been taught to respect and obey their parents, they don't love them like they should. 
Now, some of you are adults and probably need to be processing your childhood and your own, how you treat your parents back then and even to this day. Those two things go hand in hand. I'll give you another example. My favorite teacher when I was in high school, her name was Miss Chagru. She was a little short lady. I don't know how she was. She, was, she seemed like she was in her 60s then. She was kind of a, a tough teacher, but not in a bad way. Like She had expectations for us. I took three years of Latin with her in high school. And I can remember some of the things that she did. She kind of, she had a way of caring about us as students, but a way of setting the bar that kind of drew you and made you want to work for it. Like I can remember at least once a semester or a marking period, she would take the whole class and she would have everybody stay in their vocabulary, doing homework or something, exercises, and she would stop by each desk. She would go one by one, kid by kid, and go over where they were of their grades and what their last test and exam and quiz were, trying to help them and trying to just, where are you, to just kind of set that expectation. She was, she was tough. But you know, because I knew she had such expectations and a respect, I actually had an affection for her in a way that I did not have for my other teachers. In fact, I Googled her to see if she was around. She passed away a few years ago. You love the ones that you respect. When mom and dad, when you don't teach your kids to respect and to obey you, they struggle to actually love you. And they see you as more of a vehicle for them to be entitled for whatever it is they want in life. And if you create that when they're children, they carry that all the way through into adulthood. And by the way, if your kids are not learning obedience and respect as kids, you are so hobbling them and hurting them in life because they're growing up. The first people that, kid, that we are to respect and honor and obey in this life is our parents. Our parents are the ones that have authority of us. They're not employed. More than it happens before teachers, everybody else in life, it's parents first. And when kids don't learn that, instead they learn that they can get away and, and all of that and connive and you know, whine and complain. When they learn that as children... They struggle to show respect and obey when they get into the workplace and into the world. And those of you that have, tried, that have worked with new employees and others, and you're like, what in the world is wrong? Go back to some source. You disobey God's word, and it will bite you every time all the way through. So mom and dad, you've got a job to teach. Well, how do you do that? Well, here's what the Bible says. I'm so glad you asked me that question. We ask such good questions on Sunday mornings. He says this in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't be so heavy-handed and unreasonable. Don't put expectations on your kids that they can't meet. Don't always ride them. Don't always focus and tell them how bad they are. Don't cause them to be angry. Don't yeah, dig into them. But do bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Husbands, the Bible tells us that you and I are to lead out in raising our kids. It's our job. We're not to delegate it to our wives. It means when you come home from work and you have kids in the home, congratulations, you have now taken your second job, which is to raise your kids. And to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That it's not your wife's job to lead out in that. It's you. You're the spiritual leader in the home. Which also means is that God will help you. 
God will guide you. If you lean into it, God will help you to be the parent that you should be to your kids. Your kids are resilient. They are more resilient than we give them credit for. They're not half as fragile as the culture around. So, oh, be careful that you don't damage this little thing or that little thing. Your kids are so resilient. Oh, my goodness. They're far more resilient than the piece of china I just threw on the floor. Don't abuse them, but don't be afraid to lean into it. These two words, the, the discipline and instruction of the Lord, are two very comprehensive words that, mean, that involve training them to do right, that involve, when they do wrong, calling them on it, correcting them, and disciplining them appropriately for it. And that whole piece, you see, don't, don't step on the landmine that thinks you can just reason with your kids. You, you can't. You, you can't reason with a five-year-old. You can't reason with a three-year-old, maybe that much. But not like the world wants you to think. There are consequences. Have you heard of uh, Have you heard of the diagnosis ODD, um, oppositional defiant disorder? Have you heard of that? It's a, It's one of the you know mental disorders you work with kids. It's out there. Let me read to you some of the the symptoms of this oppositional defiant disorder. So. This comes from the Child Mind Institute. I think they're popular with schools. It's a national kind of agency that, that's there to help schools and parents and whatever. And here's, their, here's the diagnosis as they describe it. Being unusually angry and irritable, frequently losing their temper, being easily annoyed, arguing with authority figures, refusing to follow the rules, annoying people on purpose, blaming others for mistakes. If a child has all those regularly, they're potentially able to be diagnosed with, with oppositional defiance disorder. Now, here's the solution to this. Listen, this is, this is secular, off, the, off their website, the recommendation. It says, improving the parent-child relationships a priority. I'm quoting. This means that parents play a big role in treatment. Get this word, treatment, okay? Parent training programs can help parents learn too, and here's what they are. Set clear expectations. Use effective praise when kids meet expectation, and use consequences when they don't. Folks, that's called parenting. It's not treatment. What it basically just said is, be better parents. Tell your kid what they're supposed to do, set clear expectations, and I would have added to that, that are within their capability. Give a three-year-old expectation to a three-year-old and a 13-year-old expectation to a 13-year-old. They ought to be able to do it within a time frame. It ought to be reasonable. Set those expectations, and when they do it well, compliment them and thank them and bless them and praise them and lavish on them. And when they do disobey, give them consequences. And it ought to be more than yelling. It ought to be more than just stomping around and emotional stuff. It ought to be more than just conversation. You know, this hurts me. And I was like, no, give them legitimate consequences, legitimate discipline, and don't be afraid of that. Because every area of life, they will be disciplined. They will lose their jobs. They will not get promotions. They will blow up their relationships in marriage because they do not know how to do well in those relationships. They don't know how to be responsible. Help them to learn, you know, 
if your child is struggling, would you want them to do something? I saw parents, and I'm going to get really close to meddling here, but when I was flying, there was a dad flying a stressful hard frame Lots of kids were flying, but I was not impressed with how I saw one dad handle his, his young, probably a three-year-old in a stroller. You know, he was, the three-year-old was pushing the, the stroller down the, the uh, terminal, and apparently just weaving around, the dad's like, nope, okay, I need you to sit down and go. And the kid just, you know, didn't want to do it. It's okay for your child to tell you they don't want to do it. It's okay. But they should be respectful, and they should ultimately obey. And the kid just, average like, no! Ah! Just blowing the top and all of that. Now, I don't know the child, and maybe there's some other things going on there. Granted. Granted. But folks, everybody doesn't have a diagnosis. <laughs> the child was not being taught consequences to their lack of respect and obedience. And it just went on and on and on. That dad probably, I, that dad was so patient, patient to a fault. The issue isn't are you patient or not. The issue is are you giving your kid what they need. And the Bible, these words, raise them in the in discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's raise them in the training that God expects and the discipline that God gives, go back and read Hebrews and how the Bible describes to us what he does to us as kids. That the Bible says when God disciplines you and he scourges you, when he spanks you, if you will, recognize that that's painful, but he loves you. He's treating you like a son and a daughter, that he cares about learning to grow when they've done wrong. That's your job is to lead out in raising the kids. That means training them and helping to do what's right. That means praising them and loving them. That means not riding them and always focusing on what they do wrong. But that also means when you've given them a, something that's reasonable and it's within their reach and they ought to be able to do it, and they are dishonoring you by the way their attitude and their speaking, and they're disobeying completely, that means it is your job to give them significant consequences. And that ought to be more than just a talking to. If you don't, you're not doing what God says. And much like when we talked about ladies, we don't ever disobey God's word without it biting us later on. Ever. Whenever we blow God off or we think we know better or what, you know that, it comes back later on. Because actually what we're teaching children when we do this well, we're teaching them to get control of their emotions. And what's happening is as people or kids are being raised in such a way that their emotions are out of control. And then when they're older, they just think it's natural and they can't control it. And then we, it becomes the norm to turn to, to medications to get them under control. Rather than teaching our kids get under, to get under control. I listened to that little girl. She was arguing with her dad. I was really trying not to listen. I mean, they were like right there. It was impossible. And she said, I'll listen this time. I'll listen this time. And there was a, she knew she could get herself under control. She had that capability. You teach them control of their, their emotions. And along the way, they learn that when they do something wrong, that it's not the end of the world and that mom and dad love them. I will say, though, mom and dad, the first thing your kids need to know, and it starts very early, is that right at day one, that you love them and you are for them and you're going to care for them. If you're not showing extreme love and you try to discipline, that's bad. That discipline is always within a safe zone of context of love and care and safety. And your kids will actually love you for it. Because when you've given them something that they know that they ought to be able to do and it's reasonable, 
they know they deserve it. And they accept it. And they don't hold it against you. So, lead spiritually, men. Show honor to your wife. Love her well. When you have kids, train them. Raise those kids. It's your job, Dad. It's not the wife's job. It's your job to lead out in that. Mom, you're in it too, but Dad, you're to set the pace. Just as I've learned to walk, when I walk with my wife, I end up setting the pace. It's your job to set that pace in your home. So men, I don't know how God has spoken in your heart this morning. I hope it's encouraged you some. It's probably convicted you some. I'm not perfect in any of these departments. All four of these, I have failed at. I've learned to go to God and say, God, forgive me. God, help me to do what I should do. So maybe two or three of these you've looked at and like, boy, I struggled here and I struggled there. Let me, let me encourage you to do this. Wherever you feel like you failed, go back and apologize. For some of you, those of you as adults, or maybe God convicted you that you did dishonor and were disrespectful to your mom or your dad as a way of life, you ought to go back and apologize. And you ought to do some deep searching about as an adult, are you still respecting them, disrespecting them? And address that. Maybe God's convicted you about two or three areas. Rather than trying to hit all three at once, just deal with one, okay? Take the one that seems to be the biggest or whatever God seems to be poking at and do some deep searching. And do some deep going before God and asking God forgiveness, asking for his help. And then talk to another guy. There's plenty of guys around. We're, none of us men are the standard bearers here. Jesus is the standard bearer. We're all fallen and broken and trying to work our way. Get with a buddy and maybe the two of you guys will work on it together. I don't know. But, but get some help in that area. See, the challenge is, and I'm preaching a little bit long, so forgive my kids' workers out back. The challenge is, is that most of us were not raised in the way I just showed you. We just talked about most of us were raised in homes where there wasn't good honor shown to wife. There wasn't good love of, of, of our moms. The dads weren't a spiritual leader. And there wasn't good, healthy discipline and raising, teaching the kids and all of that. And it's hard to do that when you've never seen it and experienced it. It is really hard. At the core, that's why most relationships, when they fail, that's why they fail, because they're two people that are just doing what they saw mom and dad do, and they repeat the process over and over and over again. And we repeat the flaws. We raise the kids the way we were raised. And so you have to intentionally break that chain, and it takes work and effort. But that's the grace of God in your life. He will do that. If you lean into him, and if you talk with some others and get some help, I'd be glad to help you and talk. Any of our pastors would as well, but work on that because our families need that. They need it desperately. So pray with me, would you? Father in heaven, thank you for the Lord Jesus. I thank you for these truths. Lord, I know these things are sober, sobering, and they're difficult, and they're so different from what's lived out and shared in the world around us, Lord. It's, they're honestly so foreign. Father, we need your forgiveness. Each one of us as men have, have fallen in these areas. Lord, my goal today is not to beat on guys. 
the world's beating on them enough. I want to lift them up. I want them to get a picture of what you want for them. Lord, thank you that you forgive and your grace is great. And you will help us as we turn to you. And you'll help us to be the men that you've called us to be. So, Father, I pray for those men, especially that are wrestling with some hard things this morning. I pray for your grace. I pray, Father, that you would convict them where they need it, that you would encourage them where they need it, and that you would help them. And, Lord, help us as men to turn around and to lead our kids the exact same way that you lead us. That's what our roles are supposed to be. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray.